HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. For more information, go to Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're diving straight no chaser into the delicious crossover of the food and jazz worlds. And I think that sense of nostalgia is what makes it hard to do New Orleans food well because people just have these memories of these dishes. Certainly people from New Orleans, like, you're never going to make, you know, a gumbo as good as their mother or grandmother made, right? Comfort food, you got to get your hands dirty, and the jazz is musicians. It's like it all goes together very well, you know? Check out Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Amy and Peter Rothstein, the sibling co-founders of Donna, the spice-based beverage company that began by selling its award-winning chai concentrate to coffee shops in 2014. Now that chai is used by thousands of baristas in the U.S., Canada, and Japan. Donna also sells a turmeric concentrate and a new line of spice-inspired sodas, both directly to consumers as well as in grocery stores and specialty shops like Williams-Sonoma. Welcome, Amy and Peter. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. (laughs) You are my first siblings. Oh, really? On the show. And um, it was very funny because right before we started recording, you were both doing what my kids do, which is just talking at the same time. (laughs) Like, I didn't know who to who to look at. So I'm very (laughs) excited for like the sibling dynamics. Um, We were also talking before the show that you feel like you have questions for me, too. So I'm. I'm hoping that rather than this being just like me interviewing you, you also feel free to ask me any questions you have about anything, because I've learned a lot in the last year plus. Um, 
So we always start a little bit with what you wanted to be when you grew up. What, in your case, what was the dynamic? Amy, you're two years older than Peter. Yes. And were you always like bossy older sister? Not. No. No, not so much. That's Um, good. Yeah. Was I bossy, Pete? No, I I was probably the bossy. You were pushy. Oh, really? (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. And did you play a lot? Like, were you into, were you like close siblings? Like, what was the dynamic? We were close. Uh, We we played tennis together almost every day after school in a a group. Um, And Peter was always the the kid in the tennis group that wouldn't stop talking. Really? Um, Yes. Yes. Loud. Uh, yeah, they used to try to bribe me to get me to, to talk. stop talking, <laughs> and then they would try to bri- yeah. then they would try to make me talk because I was more quiet. Right. We also got along a lot better back then. Too. We got along. Yeah. Once you start you working guys together, work together that's really <laughs> because, hard. Yeah. I don't yeah. know a lot of siblings that would even attempt it. It was only hard for four years, and and, and now <laughs> it's great, right? Well, we have two different offices now. Yeah. <laughs> She's a couple blocks away from the the yeah. brewery. Okay. Where, where so I'm yeah, it was, got it. Yeah. Okay. So well, we're going to get into this, some of that in a little bit. And were you, you grew up in Michigan. Yes. Is that right? And then food, like I know you eventually, Amy, you came to this through the food studies program, which is how I came to everything. Mm-hmm. So you were already, you were interested in food in college already, but yes. right. Did you, were you a kid who was into food or like? brands or like what was your sure um I my first job was a waitress um and and I it was so I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do and I didn't realize that I could pursue food as a career until I was almost done with my degree so then right after that I went to grad school um for food studies at NYU while I was there I started developing the company right and Peter you went to Yeah, I went to a smaller bar school, Kalamazoo College in Michigan, and uh, Amy had just come up with this idea as I was getting ready to graduate, and I didn't really know what I was going to do, so I kind of just uh, joined in, and and that's... And you were interested in business at, yeah. yeah. So you kind of knew you wanted to do something businessy and you wanted to do something foodie. Yes. And then you guys kind of joined forces. Yeah, I didn't know I wanted to work 100 hour weeks until. You know, or in a kitchen. Yeah. Or in a kitchen. Living the dream, as they say. (laughs) As soon as you found out about my idea, you started calling me and asking about like the logistics and the business things that I didn't even know existed. So he was excited. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So, Amy, you were at NYU doing food studies. And I know that it wasn't like there are some founders that come to it like, I grew up drinking chai and it was my mother's recipe and this was Mm -hmm. that was not the case you were coming at it from like a there are all these amazing sort of third wave coffee places all over town and they're all serving kind of shitty chai and I can do something about that right yes that's exactly right cool and then how did you even like did you bring Peter in pretty immediately or were you starting to how did you even think about building out the plan for what you were going to do Oh, I didn't. I didn't think. Right. I didn't have a plan. I was 24. Right. And Peter was 22. So yeah. I just thought, I honestly remember having a very specific thought that launch, I, I was thinking that launching the company would be the hardest part. 
Oh, and then yeah. after that, <laughs> it would get easy. I know. Isn't that funny? Someone, mm-hmm. and you know, I feel like, especially in the media also, there's this sort of like, you're in, everyone's praising you for how much money you've raised. Mm-hmm. And I'm always sort of like, I'd love to see what happens 10 years later. Like, I'm not, I, I'm sure that a lot of these guys are super successful, but there is definitely this sort of like, you, why, why does it make you super successful to have launched something and gotten people to buy into the idea? It makes you successful at something, but the challenge is in building a company that has sustainability that lasts a long time, that continues to grow year over year. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's that's so it's so true. You know, um, mm. okay, so you. Basically, I like I did a little research and I read this quote and you went to your dad mm-hmm. and you were like, should I do this? Should I not? And he said, does this exist already? Is there a need for it? And then after you said it doesn't exist and yes, there's a need. He was like, then you should go do it. Yes. Um, and then you called Peter in or. Uh, then I, I dwelled on the recipe portion for right. months and months. Uh, again, I had this naive um, thought process um, that once I figured out the perfect recipe, that was it. That was the recipe <laughs> forever. Um, and did you think, and was your plan like sell, make a recipe, make a concentrate, and just go door to door, barista to barista, and get them to start adding this and make lattes with it yes and that's how you did it yes so so peter moved out um shortly after uh our first trade our first launching event um so then we would make it we would make the the chai concentrate together at an incubator in long island city right um which was such an experience especially for peter considering he never thought he would ever be working in a kitchen or working in the food (laughs) world yeah i didn't even know what a palette was no, before. no. Yeah. Why would you? That's mm-hmm. what's so funny about this yeah. whole CPG world. Like, why would we know what an MOQ is? By the way, people listening, minimum order quantity, and that's something you have to tell your co-packer if you have a co-packer. Um, and it, they're they're all these acronyms. I mean, sometimes I slip into using them. Matt will interrupt me and like stop the show and be like, "Don't use that." Um, but there are just there's so many things that you need to know. Um, so, and, that, and let's talk about the recipe a little bit, because I do think that there's a, there, I feel like there are these like hurdles along the way. There's the hurdle of, I'm going to make this in my kitchen or in, you know, a, a kitchen, shared kitchen or whatever. And the first hurdle is then I need to make a formula because it's not a recipe anymore, right? It's like a formula that can now make a thousand of these you know, in a short amount of time. And that takes a long time. I mean, I was listening to the Nut Pods um, founder. I don't know if you've ever listened to her on another podcast called Unfinished Biz, which is amazing. And she was saying she basically went through her entire life savings, every single, you know, every dollar. And on their like 39th trial, they figured out a formula that actually worked and didn't separate for this non-dairy creamer. And that's sometimes how much it takes. So you were, were you working in the incubator kitchen trying to figure out how to scale it? Or were you just trying to figure out a recipe and then you were going to take that and try to scale that? I had a recipe for a one gallon batch 
from my kitchen at home. Um, We took that to the incubator where we were (coughs) brewing um, in 50-gallon batches. Mm -hmm. Was it 100? Do you remember? Let's say 50. Yeah, I'm not sure. Let's say 50. Right. Uh, So then we finally worked out um, a stable recipe, and we were there for two years, a year and a half. Right. About a year and a half. And it was a refrigerated product before, and uh, and at about you know a, a year and and three months we switched to a, a shelf stable product within the first year. Yeah, well that's oh, was smart okay. because yeah. I mean I have a refrigerated product and I can tell you that Try it's it. challenging. And I would imagine if you don't need to have it be refrigerated, you know. Yeah. We were we were running into a problem where coffee shops are so small their footprint and 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 they have to stuff their refrigerators with milk to meet dairy minimums and, and right. we're running into that problem right. so to to get around that we, we we switched it up a little bit yeah and there, i mean the spice there's no reason it needs to be fresh exactly. how did you, yeah how did you figure that out did you go to a co-packer to figure it out or you guys figured it we f- out? we figured it out uh we were so we were brewing um a masala chai hot Mm-hmm. Then we were cooling it down, adding um, the fresh ginger, and then bottling it and storing it cold. Got it. Um, when in reality, all we have to do to make it shelf-stable is cook it hot, fill it hot. Right. So it was kind of this um, nonsensical move for yeah. us. But we didn't We didn't even know what you know the shelf-stable process meant. We were that. taking giant ice sticks and, and stirring them around in barrels. Right. Of, of in order product. to make the product harder for us to yeah. sell. Yeah, no, I mean, that, it, that's, that's what happens. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how you learn it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then did you... So you moved out of the incubator. Did you move into your own <laughs> production facility? Like you built a production facility to do this or... So we, from the incubator, we moved to um, a space in the Pfizer building where we had like a thousand square feet and we were there uh, making uh, making chai with a different, a little bit of a different process for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, then last year, or I guess it's been nearly two years, we moved into a 5,000, a 5,500 5, square foot space in Gowanus where we have um, large brew tanks and machinery. Wow. And so you produce everything in that place and you ship everything from that place. Yes. That's so cool because not everyone would opt to do that. Some people would, you know, send it out to a Mm co-manufacturer or is there a reason Peter specifically why he wanted to bring it in house? Yeah, it was, we control a lot more of our own destiny, making it in house where we, if we were going to co-pack, you know, there might be delays and stuff. And, and doing it in-house allows us to fulfill orders quickly and, and just have it's the, the control over our own yeah. destiny. And you, is it kind of mapped out for you? Like, I feel like a lot of people that build their own facilities, it's an investment for sure because, the, the, like, I guess the volume you're doing now might not exactly reach what you need to be making the space rent work. But then at a certain volume, it starts to flip and it, you start to do better. You know, d- yes. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. So do you have kind of like a goal of the volume that you want to do? That- yeah, we, we have an idea. Um, and, and this year we've hit pretty much that number Great. we wanted to. And, and it still leaves us a little room for, for growth. Um, 
What we have to do, though, is because our space is so tight, I mean, 5,500 square feet, a lot of it is manufacturing and raw ingredient. We have to turn it really quick. Right. So we have to get it out to distributors and, and kind of make it within a few storage. days of, yeah. of, of shipping it out, which makes right. it hard um, to fulfill large orders because right. it clears out everything and then other orders behind it. So that's just like logistics fun. Yeah. You get to just like yeah. make all these Excel yeah. spreadsheets and map it out. Yeah. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Last question before the break. When do you guys feel like you knew that you had a real business? Like both of you now are all in. How, what, was there a moment where you're like, okay, this is probably going to work and I think we should like shake on it? Like how did, when did you know? Are you still waiting? We I might mean, have different answers here. <laughs> you go first. I thought yeah. we did until the car ride here, and we had a phone call with one of our advisors. Because uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, November wasn't as good of a month as we had in October. But um, I don't know. Really, this year I, f- I felt like when we built our sales team and, and and they were meeting the goals that we set that were kind of a stretch was, mm-hmm. was really the uh, when I felt like we did. Okay. And you, Amy. We actually have the same answer. I was oh, going to wow. say it wasn't until, so this is our fifth year in business. Yeah. And it wasn't until this year that I felt like we truly had something. Um, for the first time, I feel like we have a, uh, a brewing process mm-hmm. that is steady. We have a sales team that actually follows um, the same structure and processes. Right. Um, so, so it just, it feels like, like a, a real, true business, yeah. not just like, the you know the sheer panic of like oh my god how do we keep increasing sales how do we find Mm -hmm. money how do we keep going awesome all right we're gonna take a little break and then we're actually gonna ask questions about how do we keep increasing sales how do we find money all those things and we'll be right back In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. About 30 years ago, in a small town in Sweden, a scientist invented oat milk, and everyone thought he was totally crazy. But remember, back then, vegans were weirdos on the fringes of society. Unlike today, when vegans are everywhere and include some of the world's most famous weirdos and non-weirdos on Earth. Actually, it is true that today more and more people in the U.S. and around the world are starting to understand the benefits of eating and drinking plants so their bodies feel good and the planet can cope better with the impact we humans place on it. So here's a sort of deep question. If 30 years ago people thought oat milk was a ridiculous idea, imagine how different people's beliefs about food could be in 30 years from now. Are we going to be looking back on our barbaric meat-eating ancestors of the early 2000s? Anyway, since this is an ad for Oatly, I should mention that one easy way to go more plant-based is just to switch from cow's milk to oat milk. It tastes really great, it foams really well, and you can just ask the baristas at Haven's Kitchen how popular it is. To find out more than you'd ever want to know about oat milk, go to Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. Or look for Oatly on Instagram, at O-A-T-L-Y. I'm back with Amy and Peter, sibling co-founders of Donna. All right, let's talk about the sibling dynamic a little bit. So 
Amy, you said it was hard for the first four years. Maybe break down a little bit why it was hard. Like, what were the things, like the patterns that kind of kept coming up and how you feel like you've sort of solved for them other than just like not being on top of each other every day? Sure. Uh, And I'd like to hear Peter's side (laughs) side also. I'm interested in sort of the dynamic here. Um, I think it's because for any uh, business owner, the the beginning years, um, you're in such a crazy high state of stress. Yeah. Stress that you didn't plan for, that you couldn't imagine. Um, And... And so, so we were constantly stressed about production, about sales, about money. Um, and do you think that you would have been, like, do you think maybe there was a little bit of a um, filter that was off because you guys grew up together and because your siblings, whereas like if you had chosen a co-founder, you might have been a little bit better behaved under duress. Yeah. Sure. Uh, that's my side of it because it's, we were the only two. There was no one else there. And, yeah. and because I was a brother, I, I was the, the scapegoat and I was <laughs> the punching bag. <laughs> yeah, we're very different yeah. too. So, uh, Well, that's good though. I mean, usually co-founders need to have, you know, I think more companies get into trouble when they have like two creatives mm-hmm. or two, you know, businessy because one of them ends up being one role and then there really isn't a role. And, and that a lot of co-founders run into like when the company gets over a couple of those hurdles like who becomes the CEO who becomes the CFO is there is there a marketing role or is that like does that go out to someone who's done marketing at another CPG for years like when you when you actually have completely different skill sets and different almost temperaments I feel like it it probably works out better yeah which is why it's great right now right um and Moving forward and forever. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you think you figured out, I mean, how do you settle a disagreement? Not like grownups in the past. Okay. (laughs) We were like involving our dad. My my boyfriend. I would call my mom or our mom. (laughs) Then they would talk and they would get back to us together with With like an answer. Who won. So can you give me an example? Like, was it like, I like this bottle, but this bottle's too expensive. Usually it's about money. Right. And Mm -hmm. Amy, you want to spend spend more. Yeah. I didn't because I have to actually pay the bill. Well, right, because that's how usually it goes with someone who's more on the brand side and one who's more on the op side. And usually there's an argument, you know, or at least a, you know, but when it's two siblings, I guess it's, it, it gets kind of funny. So how do you feel like you sort of solve for that? Now you don't involve your parents probably as much. Yeah. And how do you think that you just trust him more? And do you think that you see her vision more? Well, when you get busier and are selling more, you have more money coming in. And when you have more money coming in, it, it makes it takes the financial stress off. So if she wants to do something, I don't yell as quickly because we'll have the <laughs> the money to right. to fund it. Uh, whereas before, when we didn't, I'd have to go find the money, and so it it makes it a little easier to say yes to to more things. Got it. And we it feels like we have a lot more stability right now. Right. So for the That's first what it four like exactly. Yeah. First four years chaos. Like how do we do everything that we need to do as a company? Right. Um so so that that stability like gives me patience, gives him, right. him patience. Under, that makes sense. And so in terms of stability, 
Right. So you were saying, you know, you have a sales team that that just feels more grown up in a way. Mm-hmm. So what does that sales team look like? How have you sort of created that process? Like what what would you say is the big difference in the way that you're handling sales now versus how you were doing it before? Uh, we we just have a process. So if we hire a new salesperson, um, we can sit down with that new salesperson and say, here's what you do. Here is how you sell. Here's what we expect from you. Here mm-hmm. are the goals and how we evaluate the, the progress. Right. And we never had that before. Yeah. I mean, um, the other side of that is we are still a <coughs> tiny company with a tiny team. Right. Um, how many salespeople are there? Three. Right. And are they all, because I know you guys have, like, the, the bulk of the business, I think, is wholesale to coffee shops. Correct. And is that one salesperson? Or does it do, like, have you divided it by channels so that there's someone doing stores, there's someone doing B2B, and there's someone doing direct-to-consumer or, or regions. Like that? Regions. Yes. Okay. They, because we're so small, everyone kind of has to be able to sell everything to, to, ch- to the channels we sell to. Right. And so the channels are, there's the, B, the B2B, mm-hmm. which is just, and are, are these three guys or gals like all over the country just still going to coffee shops and trying to sell you in? How, how does it work? Yes. So, um, and we still have so far to go with our process. Which is this, fun. Yeah. This is just yeah. what we have made up this far. So we mm-hmm. would love advice. We would <coughs> love someone professional to come in and say, oh, here's the trick to quadrupling your revenue. Right. That would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, that would be lovely. <laughs> um, we so, so it's a very uh, grassroots approach where we're reaching out to coffee shops or and visiting how do you, them. Here's, okay, so here's how I would think about it. Maybe is this how you're thinking about it? Basically, trying to figure out your, you know, A, based on the region, I mean, based on the regions that you want to be in, assuming are you in every state or no? We can we can ship direct to every state. Right. We have distribution in a handful of the big cities throughout the U.S. Right. So I would start with where you have the distribution, and then I would basically make a target list mm-hmm. of like the top hundred coffee shops you want. And at the top of that list is someone who has ten shops because they can put it in ten in mm-hmm. one go versus like the little guys who have one shop. Is that is that kind of how you think about it, and then and then you send them out to go like sell to those places? Yes. So the um, emphasis is on areas where we have distribution. In New York, we built something really great um, because we created community. So mm-hmm. now um, now we don't have to go into every new coffee shop that opens. People just often know about us, or will will get us automatically from the distributor. So right. we're trying to create that sense of community in a new location. So we prioritize um, areas of distribution and we right. um, and we prioritize uh, number of doors. So. Right. Got it. Okay. And so that's one part of it. And then you also sell it directly through your website and also through Amazon. Yes. Um, and how do you think about that? Like that Our, could, that could be a really big business, but the glass is probably challenging or what? So, what? If anyone here knows how to do online sales, we need the help. <laughs> What's how it's like two percent of our right. revenue or something Three, like that? It, right. 
Our well, our yeah. wholesale direct to coffee shops is a, a big part of it. So we do have that distribution, but we also ship because it's a stable product. We can ship it to coffee shops nationwide or even in Canada, and it right. they, uh, can get there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, and so the B two B is like seventy percent. Is that what you would say? Or ninety five? Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! So that's going to be fun for you because you're going to have all this room for growth. I mean, first, f- from my understanding, I I don't have a direct to consumer business, so I am in no way yeah. an authority or helpful. I think that people who do really well on Amazon pay people who know how to do really well on Amazon. It's like mm-hmm. taking the SAT. There's like a hack <laughs> and you learn how to take the test as opposed to learning math, right? Like there is a way to optimize sales and there are experts out there. And then I think the people who do really well direct on their own website put a lot of money towards, you know, acquiring customers and consumers. And that's why a lot of the businesses that are predominantly like opposite of you that are 95% direct to consumer are all trying to figure out how to get it into businesses and how to get it into stores. Um, so I, I don't know, but I know that it's, that there's money right. put toward it. It doesn't seem to happen that, um, organically anymore. Right. Um, that's what you're seeing Instagram promotions for and Facebook ads and swipe up to buy and all that stuff. Um, so then that's a little bit. And then the grocery stores are a little part of it, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads to why you guys thought about the sodas. Like, was that part of the reason why you wanted to come up with another product? Or was it just for fun? Or why why the innovation? So... The initial thought, um, it was when I was developing our turmeric concentrate. Our turmeric is made with um, ginger, uh, allspice, lemongrass, black pepper, and pink peppercorn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was tasting the pink peppercorn, just steeping it in water to know to know what it's like. Um, and as soon as I tasted it, I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. We should do, guys, try this. We should do a pink peppercorn lemon soda. Um, so it was kind of just on a whim, let's do this. Um, but Peter had been from the business side, had been already pushing for an RTD of some type. So it kind of worked out. By the way, that is ready to drink for the people listening. (laughs) And you know, it's interesting. I interviewed the guy I told you about, um, I forget his name, but he was so nice. The man from, um, Guayaquil. Anyway, lovely, lovely guy on here. And he was saying that they started off, they had years where they were selling just the the mate and tea, like loose tea. And that um, they had, it was so seasonal for them that they needed to come up with something that would be okay in the cold weather too. And so they came up with this like bottled yerba mate. Um, And now that is the product. And that's the vast majority of sales as opposed to like the tea that some people buy, but most people don't. So you, you kind of never know what your big, what your product is going to actually end up being, you know, it's kind of funny to like watch, watch the journey. But Peter, why were you pushing for an RDD? It's a quick moving category. And I knew we needed something that can get into the consumer's hands. We, we were a lot bigger than our, our brand name. We were doing more sales in more places, but we just, 
we were behind the counter before then. And right. we needed something else to get into the consumer's hand. And we, we saw this as a way to get into still the same channels, into the same coffee shop places that had coolers or refrigerators that we could get into without paying for it. Right. Um, because it's all the groceries are very dominated by the companies that can pay for it and, and have deep pockets and investors that, that'll pay for the space. So right. It was kind of just a natural progression. And and so what I think, so what you meant by behind the counter was like... Food you service. Can, you can only build a, a yeah. brand so far if you're in food service. Yeah, if right. you go to a restaurant, you don't know what kind of steak you're eating. Right. But it's, there's a brand name right. on that steak. Right. So in the same way that Oatly, I mean, Mike was on here too, and they did a really great job sort of building sort of a little bit of a community and brand with the baristas way before they launched a retail oat milk. Um, and why the soda, not a version of the chai? We tried the chai, but we ran into a lot of trouble with the shelf life because mm-hmm. uh, it would have to have a milk in it um, right. or an alternative milk. So we, uh, we didn't have the machinery to do it cold chain or to pasteurize. So it didn't right. work out. Uh, you know, maybe eventually, as we as we grow, um, we'll be we'll have the resources to right. do that. Is there another chai kind of out there in a bottle? Yeah, or with with milk. Yes, there are some, um, but they're made they're made with extracts and flavorings right, and fake milk. And it, I and I'm they're very sterile. Stealth. They're they're aseptic tetrapack. Right. Got it. Version. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so tell me a little bit about the sodas. So how are they doing? What's been the fun part? What's been the challenging part? You said that you're mostly, you're not going for like the up and down the street bodegas at this point or the big grocery stores. You're starting, and I think this is a really good idea. You're starting with the people that already buy product one and basically saying you have a cooler, put me in your, put me in your refrigerator or your, you know, your reach in where mm-hmm. consumers can grab me on the way out the door. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And we want to keep, we've decided we want to keep the price high. So selling into bodegas is hard when you want to keep the price high, but selling into these coffee shops where people are used to paying $4 or, you know, whatever for a latte or $5 is a lot easier. And they're generally the consumers we want to start with. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Is the goal to get the price down? First is to get our, our margins right. in an okay place. That's right. also part of the reason why we can't work with uh, a lot of these, these grocery stores because we, we don't have the, um, the funding right now to mm-hmm. do free fills. Right. Yeah, we can't take too much of a loss. We have in some places to start off with, with key retailers. Um, but at some point, yes, when we'll have a, a larger uh, market to sell to when we do get it, the cost down. But small run canning is uh, logistically and financially hard. Yeah. yeah. So, and you're thinking about other innovation. Mm-hmm. I know you have the like the spices, but is that just kind of for fun? Or, oh yes. Yeah. So so we launched a few weeks ago zero waste spice dust. Yeah. Um, and it was an idea we had just for a marketing thing. Got um, it. And so what we're doing, um, so we're brewing with uh, hundreds of gallons of spices every week. Right. And we compost everything. Um, but we thought you know maybe we can do more instead of just carting them to get composted right um so what we we save some of the spice post brewing and we're de- dehydrating it 
and powdering it. Um, and then we're selling it as a zero waste uh, latte right. topper or something you can bake with. But you don't plan on like busting that out as a new category. I, you know, I, like, I doubt it. So right. online it has uh, been good because mm-hmm. people think it's really cool and they're like, oh, well, I'm going to buy this chai. I'm going to, let me, let me buy the spice dust. Right. Um, but in groceries, spices are a, are a fast moving category yeah. and then it's so, so specific in right. flavor. Yes. That I don't think it would. Right. Yeah. And how do you think about, I mean, we are pretty niche. I, well, it's interesting. I don't know that we're, we're not that niche, but, well, we kind of are. I don't know what we are, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, what? Um, but thinking about chai, I mean, because you guys have to, once branching out of the coffee shops and the baristas, then you kind of have to do the job of educating consumers on what chai is, A, and why yours is better mm-hmm. than what's out there, B. And is that... Like, is that some, do you want to continue selling the concentrate? Like, do you, would, would that be a product that you would like to see in every grocery store across America? Or are you thinking that's a really good launching pad for something like the ready to drink beverage? And that's the thing I want in every grocery store in America. Yeah. Or do you not want anything in every grocery store in America? <laughs> we want the, um, <laughs> the, the ready to drink beverages in a, ton of national retailers we want the concentrates um in a ton of coffee shops um and so far we have gotten people to pick up our chai and our i mean our sodas are a different story because the flavors are so interesting yeah um but uh we can easily convince people to carry our chai because it just you know tastes better you just taste better than than the other stuff that's out there um but this maybe um, falls in line with our lack of online sales. Um, right. The marketing, you know, the taste is just such a small part of our um, competitive advantage. Like right. I would like to tell more people um, our, our story, you know, that we're using single origin spices, that we're a small team, that we're doing everything in-house, yeah. that we have less sugar. Yeah. But it's hard. It, well, you know, it's interesting because I, I think what I've really learned in the last couple of months especially is that, I say this all the time. We are so many things and there's so many selling points. You kind of have to pick mm-hmm. who your biggest fans are and ask them, why are they your biggest fans? Because it could be because there's less sugar. If that's the case, then you go h- hardcore down the less sugar functionality, right? Sugar. Mm-hmm. It could be that they don't actually care all that much about that, but they're really into the fact that you guys are siblings. So you go really (laughs) hardcore into sibling run. Like, and the thing is, you don't know which thing to pick, but you can't pick them all. Right. You know, we, we learned like really in the last couple of months, there's so many stories about this that we want to tell. And we also had to happen to be like gluten free and vegan and, you know, non GMO and, you know, and woman owned and also there's a cooking school and also they're from global regions all over the world. And also you can use them in every single, and it consumers just can't, they, they, they can't handle that. They need to hear one thing. They need to know one thing that's special. And then, and, and I think oftentimes founders, we try to decide what that one thing should be rather than asking the people that love us. What is, what is the single 
if you had to choose one reason why you continually buy our product, what is it? And when we did that on Instagram, people just kept saying easy, 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 easy. It's easy. It's easy. And I, that was not my, that was like number five on my list, but it's number one on everyone else's. Yeah. And so you just kind of have to choose Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'd like some words of caution for people who are out there starting to find, found their own companies. Best advice you've ever gotten, advice you wish you'd have gotten. Peter, let's start with you on the ops side of things. Oh, that's hard. I Probably the best uh, words of wisdom I got was good luck. <laughs> Honestly, because <laughs> uh, you're really gonna need that. Um, you know, you'll have to get lucky breaks here and there. Um, but yeah, operations is, is and supply chain management can be hard. Um, gosh, I'd have to think about what I w- wish I had wish gotten. you knew. Yeah, if you had someone under your wing today, and they came and they were like. What's going to help me here? It, it would probably be to be cautious of your demand, where you, you'll think your demand is going to increase so much, and then you, you'll you'll overorder, mm-hmm. um, and you'll get stuck with stuff because you have limited space. So you know someone will start increasing your orders or their orders, <laughs> and and then you'll just decide to go to the supplier and order more and more, and then they'll slow down. So then you're stuck right. with it, and figuring and, out that cadence. Yeah, be is, careful is of your demand hard, yeah. and. In, in supply chain operations, there, it's called the bullwhip effect, where you'll get little ripples in, in your demand changing from the end user, the grocery, or, or whoever it be, and that, you know, those will get bigger and bigger as they move uh, down the supply chain and expensive and, and, and a little chaotic. And so I would just be careful to, to not overestimate demand. I mean, do you have a, do you have like a, a, a what are they called, a model where based on sort of like, all right, we know December might look like this, so in October we're going to produce this or we're going to order this or like, have, yeah, you, have you kind of We know from our past bit? few years uh, seasonality plays a little bit of a factor where, you know, after September Labor Day hits, the coffee shops, and they get a little bit busier. People are back in school and back from summer and then it, it stays pretty busy through the holidays with the direct-to-consumer and coffee shop sales and then the consumer slow down. So, yeah. Uh, but then the coffee shops stay busy until Memorial Day when right. everyone leaves again. So w- based on the history, we have a little bit, but demand can be so unpredictable. Yeah. Um, so you can base yeah. it off of your history a little bit. And you kind of have to play with, because I know in our case, I mean, we have 46 ingredients in the in the five sauces. And every one of them comes in different sizes and volumes and has different yeah and they have different shelf lives and and so that in and of itself is just a whole job but the we're always sort of like all right if we order more well we save a little bit per you know case but we might get stuck with it whereas if we order less we might have a problem with production 
and it's more expensive. And then we have to order sort of an emergency backup exactly. that gets more expensive. So that demand so planning is, e- e- yeah. yeah, either way is expensive, whether you're sitting on it, paying for storage right. or that's why trying to get it right yeah. is that's, so important. That's the lesson here. Starting a business is expensive. No, but I think the lesson the that the demand planning is really important because mm-hmm. people don't, I think a lot of times people who get into these businesses think about the front. They think about the brand and the label and how it's going to look and who's going to use it. And they don't think so much about the back. Mm -hmm. They don't think about cash flow. They don't think about demand planning. They don't think about supply chain management. And if there's one thing that, like, I keep hearing over and over, like, if you have a great brand but you can't make a steady, solid product, you don't have a company. You have a brand, but you don't have a company. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, Amy, what about you? Um, advice. So it's advice that I got or either that you wish you had gotten that you did get that you would like to give people who are listening. Um, the advice I always give is, uh, talk to as many people as possible. Right. Um, because there is no website or handbook you can go to for all the information you need. You can also listen to this podcast. Listen to the podcast. That that was actually my advice. <laughs> That's what you meant to say. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm a huge believer in talking to as many people as possible, which is exactly why I started having the conversations here, because I do mm-hmm. have the opportunity to talk to a lot of smart people. Um, what do you wish you had known other than how hard it was going to be? Uh there are so we have made so many mistakes along the way. Um, what do I wish I had known? Uh, I don't know if there's anything specific. Like all of it, <laughs> right? Like yeah. um, well, you wish you knew you what what website to build in the beginning, so we don't have to change it every few months. Yeah, because that's yeah. expensive. <laughs> right. So like the right platform or the right um, right. You know, you wish. We probably There's so many things. In the beginning, we our brand name was Donna Chai, and yes. had we thought further out, we would have just gone with Donna and and get the trademark everywhere we needed to because we would have known that that was going to be a brand and not Donna Chai because mm-hmm. we didn't want to just be Chai. Yeah, right. we we would have known. You know, we we should have known to leave the possibility open to yeah. branch into different lines yeah. under just the Donna name. Definitely, it's funny because we you know we're always like it's not Haven's Kitchen sauces. Because yeah. it's going to be more than sauces eventually. Mm-hmm. It's just Haven's Kitchen. You know, and we think yeah, about exactly. that a lot. Okay. Best moment for both of you. You're, you're speaking to two very, very pessimistic people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, you know, it's been fun. Uh, when we win awards, that's yeah. always, it's so dorky to win no. best new product. It's, but it's amazing. And it's cute. a really good product. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's delicious and it works mm-hmm. and it solves a problem for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Figuring out how to scale it is where you guys are trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I always say to people in your position is like, you've done the hard part. You know how many like like dudes out there are just like trying to find a white space and they're just like, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. You've already done that. You've done that part. You've created something that people love. Yeah. Um, We're in it. You're in it, you know? So think about a time. I'm going to force you to do this. Like I do with my kids. You have to have a rose. 
Do you guys ever play Rosebud Thorn? Rose and Thorn. Oh, yeah. you yeah. guys did love, in the car. Love that game. Yes. That's my like. That is yeah. my game with my kids. Every single family dinner, Rose, best part of your day. Thorn, worst part of your day. Bud, something you're looking forward to. So we're not going to do it today, but we're just going to say, what has the rose been of this experience for both of you? The whole thing. I mean, we, so we had, we've never had jobs before. We, <laughs> I was right out of grad school. He was right out of undergrad. Um, and we, we just created the jobs for ourselves. Yeah. And now, now we have something that feels um, pretty real. So it's, you know, we never have had a boring job. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Same. And you. Probably, uh, <laughs> and we get to work with each other every day. The, yeah, he yeah. looks super psyched about that. Well, yeah. It's just now being at a point where, you know, if we go away for a few days, things don't fall apart and right. I don't get the phone calls that, you know, all hell is breaking loose. Yes. With, you know, we have 20 people now. Right. And and at that point, yeah, that's probably the the, the rose. All right. Well, on that optimistic <laughs> note, that hell won't break loose. Yeah. Oh no, hell, that, that hell, happens. Hell will not break. No, someone's rose was. I don't think I'm going to go out of business. That was it's that was Erin from Evanly's. That was her really? rose. She was like, "Oh wait, I might not go out of business." It took her like five years, but yeah. that was her rose. This year we're going to be okay. Well, we have another month. And, yeah. Uh, we shouldn't go out of business Great. in the month. Cool. We'll see you next year. All right. Well, <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Matt, thank you for your extraordinary engineering skills. Um, people can find you at Drink Donna um, on Instagram. Yes. Right? And at DonnaChai.com. Drink what's Donna it now? all around. Drink Donna. Drink Donna. Everything. Drink yes. Donna. Not two ends. One end. One D-O-N-A. End. It's beautiful. It tastes delicious. Um, and you're supporting siblings. I'd be interested in figuring out what that thing is that everyone's excited about with you. Keep me posted. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for having yeah, us. Yeah, my pleasure. Super fun. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.